Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Sometimes I mean to be difficult, but as a rule, I'm not trying to be contrary. It just kind of happens sometimes, and sometimes I think I'm being contrary when I'm not, because of the small bubble that I live in, that we all live in, I guess. But I know everyone's still, I, I can't believe the volume of great content, content that's being put out on rookies right now. I feel strongly compelled to dig in deeper and care. And and I'm giving up my, uh, you know, we don't know what this draft class yet is. It seems the fear is real. And again, in the small little bubble I live in, people are worried enough about it. And two players decided to go back to the draft or decided to go back to college instead of going to the draft. <clears throat> the fear is now there's, there's no one to draft. That's not true. So maybe it's going a little far. So I'm giving that up. But I'm still not focused on rookies. Um, next week, hopefully... And we've got Ray G from the DLF Devi podcast coming in. Um, and so I'm really going to try and dig in a little bit more um, over the next week, get ready for him, um, and see what he has to say. He's more tape-orientated, although everyone uses both. And Ray's one of those very common, but we pretend they're rare people <laughs> uh, that recognizes you take in all good information and try and do the best you can with it. So... He's well aware of the analytics as well, and that'll be fun. So we'll start really digging into rookies on the crossroads a little bit more next week. Um, but for right now, I'm still I'm meandering. This is the time of years, is why I love the offseason. You get to just be curious, and you get to just look at what you want. We're not in draft season yet, although it feels like it. As soon as the season finishes, it seems like we we jump immediately into draft season, and then we stop for a while. But I'm I'm starting in that middle period. Where I'm more curious about 2019 right now. So, that's what I'm up to. And for today's podcast, that's what I'm going to be talking about. I want to talk about more about first and second year players, which has led me to think about age and production again. Nothing new, but I don't think, outside of Jacob Brickroad's article, it's probably the best, and um, it's ever been put into full context about how we can use the value of age and the predictiveness of career arcs. And so I've been trying to dig into that to create something of a more holistic view on what we all know, but we tend to think about it in segments, that you want youth for dynasty and for rebuilding. And we want players who produce because it's more predictive of producing the next season. And there are some people like, uh, his name forget me right now, he does a cohort report, it's fantastic, you should check it out. I'll, 
I'll put a link to him in the description or something. I, I forget his name right now. But he insists that um, younger players actually produce more or just as well as older players. I still don't think that's true. I don't think the heights of production happen at the youngest ages, um, at least. And I think the certainty you get with having seen more of a player and know what, more of what they can do in the volume um, that they're going to get, I think that has extra value at the time when they're more likely to decrease in value in Dynasty because almost everyone's always trying to think about three years down the line. Well, that's oversimplification, but I, I think we have that in our head at least. So, I'm sorry for the abbreviated introduction, by the way. It's a complete mess I've made of, of Gabe's amazing work. Um, I'll play the whole thing at the end, but um, I'm trying to cut out the lyrics at the start, just in case we get anyone new listening and wonders who this Jake guy is. He, he's the abandoning, abandoning abandoner. Uh, that's joke, Jake, sorry. <laughs> um, former co-host, great guy, still on Twitter, still talk to him. He's still putting a lot of more rookie content than I am, actually. But anyway, I'm getting off the point. So, I've been fixing... We're going to start with my ranks and move into what we can see in age, and then a trend I was looking at based on what Blair Win Williams of um, Rotoviz put out last year, um, and see what it says about this season. Just a little bit, just a brief look about who we can predict is more likely to get more volume and more efficiency and therefore be more fantasy relevant. So ranks. Um, yeah, besides deleting it all several times and putting several hours of work into each time before I deleted it, I finally got them updated. This time of year, I'm more dependent on Patreons than ever. They're basically what keeps me alive. Um, and so I actually posted all my ranks as well as my projections for this round of the playoffs for Patreons this year as well. And I'm going to do a market share database update as well. Again, I know I see I see your comments about players that need extra years or players that need data burst so I can include them. I'm going to get to it um, this week where I get ready for Ray and start looking at rookies a little bit more. But I was redoing my ranks and something that struck me as positive, it's... Um, DLF ranks have their head screwed on right, as you'd imagine, but they've got DJ Moore and Cortland Sutton above players, uh, soon-to-be second-year players, like AJ Brown and Metcalf, and that makes perfect sense. I was worried, because the feeling is like AJ Brown or bust, right? And everyone wants AJ Brown, and you take the discount on Metcalf, and those are the players I see discussed in terms of value more often than not at the moment. Um, but DLF has got it right. They've got um, DJ Moore and Kirtland Sutton as top two round picks, as promising wide receivers who broke out in their second season, the most common breakout season. Um, they've got them ranked inside the top 24 as the average uh, sort of average DLF ranking. Um, so like I say, a top two pick, end of the second round, sort of third, which is very fair for um, you know young wide receivers who have proven a little bit more. Um, AJ Brown comes next, and he's picked out on average 35 or rank 35 which again is it's round and a half later makes a lot of sense to me and dk metcalf i do think is a decent value from this year's class because everyone's more excited about aj brown for good reasons but dk metcalf proved i think about as much as aj brown does they obviously got very different games again not going to break in too much just in terms of value here that makes sense to me but then i was comparing it to dls recent adp and you see that A.J. Brown is, in fact, drafted above Cortland Sutton. And only five picks, like within the same round, 
as DJ Moore. And so the suspicion I've got from the conversations I'm hearing and seeing and the questions we're getting asked is true. Ranks are telling us what's logical and right based on historical trends and what we know uh, of upside and predictiveness and all that stuff I was babbling about at the start of the show. But when it comes to value in trades, in drafts, it's getting flipped. AJ Brown's getting pushed above Colin Sutton and very close pretty much to DJ Moore. I'm not so sure right now that you couldn't see AJ Brown and DJ Moore as equal in trade value. Not in the calculator, because the calculator will use ranks and they'll use a wider perspective, but um, maybe if it relies heavily on ADP, it'd probably be pretty equal right now. Now, that's not to say I don't like AJ Brown, just to put a feather in that, uh, and a pin in the value is the point here. Um, it's uh, AJ Brown has proven less than DJ. AJ Brown, we hope, will do what DJ Moore did last year. But DJ Moore's already done it, and he's 22 years old. AJ Brown's the same age <laughs> now. <laughs> so AJ Brown's technically younger, further into his career, more proven. If you're in your league or in your head, you're valuing them equally, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry, <laughs> that's just the way, the way I see it. You're doing it wrong. Or that's not the way I value players, at least. So that's something I noticed right off the riff, that ADP is reflecting the conversation a lot more than it's reflecting, you know, cold calculated in intelligent ranks by professional <laughs> dynasty players, not that we're professional in the least. Um, Nikhil Harry also comes in under all of them and DJ Chark, and so does Calvin Ridley. Um, just to, you know, Nikhil Harry less proven going into his second year like AJ Brown and DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley more proven going into his second year having broken out as lower value comparisons and they're getting ranked in the 40 to 50 ish range so you know the fourth fifth round picks um fifth sixth round picks maybe um those are players i'd actually probably be more interested in targeting if i'm not looking to give up the world for for someone above them so something i've been doing for value um is going back to the traditional view of you know why we value these players in these years, why we're starting to say sell Julio Jones, which isn't incorrect. We should expect some diminishment, and we do have less years to work with. But I'm going to rank him higher than everyone else. And that's the percentage or the number of seasons, the percentage of seasons that enter into the top 24, top 12, depending on what type of position is, you use different thresholds. Uh, and when they occur, and the golden range is really between 24 and 26, 27, you know that kind of range, the typical dynasty aim range. Um, Tyler Lockett, Keenan Allen, uh, these are people entering into the latter half of that range, and so people are starting to think about selling them. But the percentage view has been shown time and time and again to be an inaccurate way of seeing the whole. For a start, the reason, the problem with a graph or a picture or anything like this is it's a static image of, of a dynamic process, right? It changes year over year. If you look at the average between 2000 and 2018, which is the one I looked at, you get a very different set of numbers in 2014 to 2019. Now, the fact that there is commonality, that's why the average is useful, is important. But I think what it hides is that you're seeing different draft classes move through different ages through the seasons. And so I was breaking it down by age in terms of player and different and uh, different thresholds. So top 12 for quarterback and tight end. We should be more in depth, but we're just looking at on broad view here. And top 24 for running back and wide receiver. Now, tight end really should be top 5. Running back really should be top 12, but moving on. 
Um, and you see these age of arrows we're very familiar with. Running backs top out earlier um, in their ages. So, you know, the, the, the best golden zone of running back production is age 28, even though we know running backs, some running backs continue to produce after that. Wide receivers start a little later, but their golden age runs a little further into age 31 uh, from age 25 or so. Tight ends break out later. Um, quarterbacks break out later as well. But if you change the age range, and I've got it set up that I can do pretty instantly because uh, the type of article I want to write soon, just change the date and it gives me the new average. You do see commonalities, but you see it going up and down, as you'd expect from the 2014 draft class to compared to the 2015 draft class. You'd expect the ages to start influencing the average in the first three years significantly. Interestingly enough, though, 2014 gets cut by the way I have it set up by Devontae Adams. He's got two top 24 seasons, and his average points per game in his first season brings the first season average all the way down to looking like a bad year. So context is necessary. The smaller the sample size we're looking at, um, the more difficult it is. Um, I'm just trying to understand the panel. A, a good way of visualizing what we know in practice so that we can apply it more broadly without being as one-dimensional as I like young players. So someone pointed out that, you know, going by career year might be more interesting. I actually think it's a more interesting way of looking at it, but you can't really challenge age without starting at age. So I started by looking at the ages they were. So uh, when I broke it down uh, by the year that they were in, whether in their first year, second year, third year, you see a similar pattern, but interestingly enough, um, you do see that golden range, but it's instead of, you know, uh, 24 to 27 or whatever I said, and 25 to 31, um, it, for wide receivers specifically, you see it from their second year, the most common breakout year, all the way to their ninth year. And that's only looking at players with two top 24 seasons since 2008, is specifically the date range I've got in a, this table at the moment. So the golden range spans beyond what we think in Dynasty. It's not a three-year window till they hit 27 and sell. It's just not. That's not what the average tells, and when you look at the pattern, the average as different draft class comes in, it continues to stay consistent. The players are productive if they have proven themselves to be productive beyond year five, beyond year six. In fact, the two best years for wide receivers specifically are years five and six, and after that, they go back to more of what they were doing between year two and four. Um, so, you know, uh, if we liked them young, we should like them old basically, especially at wide receiver. Running back, I'm leaving alone for a little bit. We know, we know that's a slightly different pattern. So, I still don't have it. Otherwise, I've already written the article. Um, I'm starting to look at individual draft classes and watch their averages changes, um, or the NFL average change as that draft class migrates through it, because I think the key here and that's why Jacob Brickroad's article should connect with the knowledge of when players produce an age, is that the key is career arcs. You don't want young players, you want great young players. And you don't want old players, you want good old players. Um, and that's the key, to stop thinking about it in terms of age and start thinking in terms or twisting it back around to age and looking at their career arc. How well can we expect them to play? So Julio Jones is going to be less than he was, maybe, probably, likely, even. But he's, you know, nine times out of ten going to be better than any age players from age 21 to 23. So age is not the way to do it, which is why we highlight A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, who proved a little something in their first years, right? 
So it's not just age, and I think simplifying it that way d does us harm, it does us damage. So this reminds me, um, like I said, something I was talking about, about trying to highlight, trying to predict breakout players. And honestly, I, I completely copped out, I, I completely fouled out of finding a breakout predictor, as in this player is more likely to break out this coming season than any other season. I still prefer to look at it in a date range, like um, the rookies are likely to break out within their first three years, is usually what I do with my models. I can't find a year predictor, but Blair Andrews came a lot closer than I ever did. Um, and I worked hard at it. Blair's pretty good. He works over there at Rotoviz. And what he pointed out is while efficiency is like the least interesting stat when you're looking for something to predict, it still has interesting signal. If you look at r players in their first year, if they were efficient in their first year, they're much more likely to get more volume and therefore score more points and, and be more efficient in their second season. In fact, uh, I ran his numbers again just for my own edification and also to check that he was right. And I found that only about 35% of players, between 30 and 35%, depending on what position you look at, are actually efficient in their rookie season based on expected points. Now, expected points is simple enough. You probably already know what it is. But as a brief one line, expected points is an opportunity metric. It's how many points you should be expected to score if you are an average player with the ball in the situations that you got the ball. That's all it is. I don't know their exact calculation, but that's what the calculation is aimed at producing. A number that tells you how much opportunity they got, how valuable that opportunity was. So only about 35% are efficient on their expected points. And we measure efficiency by if they scored more or less than an average player would with those touches. So fantasy points over expected. And 65% or 60 to 65%, 65-70, sorry, um, are inefficient with their opportunity in their first year. And what Blair pointed out was that players who are efficient, that smaller group, are actually much more likely, they average higher expected points and higher fantasy points over expected in their second year. So while efficiency isn't predictive, being efficient in your rookie season puts you in a group much more likely to get more opportunity and score more fantasy points in their second year. Fairly simple, and yet the one I know had ever pointed it out before because we're used to not looking at efficiency for predictiveness. So Blair's done some great work here, and I used it to look at the 2019 season when it was upcoming. And the players it highlighted at running back, just to name a few names off the top here, going into their second season, Chris Carson, Tyreek Cohen, uh, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler. So that's like a four out of five hit rate right at the top for running back. For wide receiver, uh, D.D. Westbrook did not work out. Zay Jones did not work out, but you can kind of see that coming. Lots of opportunity, always inefficient. Um, Curtis Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, uh, Christian Kirk, and uh, Anthony Miller topped the list. Now, we, we can use better thresholds. I'm just reading right off the riff here. Um, but still, we, even at wide receiver, one of the most difficult to predict breakouts for, the one I was looking at last offseason, um, it still got Curtis Samuel, which... Nothing based on what I was looking at in terms of opportunity that we could predict with CMC and DJ Moore predicted to get so much really left room for Curtis Samuel, and Curtis Samuel still broke that. So this efficiency trend from Blair helped us highlight that. And Christian Kirk, it was always nice to see that. And that worked out too, I think. Not as well as I'd hoped, but still, he had a good second year. I can't remember if he broke out yet, yeah. And um, for tight end Chris Herndon, well, we know what happened there. He just didn't play. Gerald Everett, which nothing else highlighted. Um, Ian Thomas, 
didn't didn't really throw this year, but he's still got hope. And Jonu Smith. And I think Jonu Smith, especially in the players here, has made people remember his name a little bit. So is this perfect? No, it's not. But it's the best breakout finder I've honestly seen, or something that tries to see breakout finders. So what I was doing is looking at, in 2019, who was more efficient on their opportunity, given you know a reasonable threshold for opportunity. And at tight end, just to throw some names at you here, Foster Maru was actually the most efficient first-year tight end in 2019 his name you might have remembered or been using in dfs in 2019 and stopped as his opportunity dwindled off towards the end of the season but i definitely think he's a name we should keep in mind hopefully he doesn't chris herndon but which is now a thing i guess um but it's a name that jumped off the page to me when i was looking at the most efficient running back and he had 50 expected points which is actually I think the third most opportunity of any rookie tight end in 2019 so it wasn't a small amount compared to you know rookie tight ends from this class interesting enough Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson were both inefficient on their touches so they hit that 65 percent group that are less likely to get more opportunity and and more fantasy points now I would say both of them are protected by draft capital a little bit so I'm not going to be too nervous on them. I still think they're entering their buying season if people are starting to get nervous because they thought they'd produce their first year, as happened with Mike Gusecki, as happened with Austin Hooper, as happened with Eric Ebron there for a little while. So I'm not scared of them, but it is worrying that they were inefficient on their opportunity in this first year for them. And Foster Maru and and Caden Smith, who honestly... Did, the name didn't register to me, but he had similar opportunity and was uh, about a third as efficient. But still, he was positively efficient um, at, t- at the tight end position. So my, we might need to learn more about Caden Smith if we're looking for a deep tight end flyer going into his rookie season. Like with wide receivers, um, Rodovitz says the second year's most common breakout year for tight ends. I find it to be the third. I don't know. They're pretty good with numbers. I'm not going to put up too much of a fight. For wide receiver, the name that jumps off the list to me, I mean, the ones you want to be in here are in here. Don't worry. You've got A.J. Brown, uh, Darius Slayton, if you're a Giants fan, I guess, Marcus Brown, DJ uh, Metcalf. They're all, they were all efficient in their first season, so they hit that 35% group, and they're more likely to get more opportunity next year. They have the draft capital to do it as well. This also might be one of the sources for the McCall Hardman train that I'm seeing running, which I am definitely not buying a ticket for, but he was in a, he was efficient with only 65 points of opportunity, though, in his expected points model. I think I don't he doesn't cross the threshold for this to be useful to me, which is just another reason I don't like him, but yeah, you can't take that efficiency away. And Debo Samuel is also efficient. He had 10 points over expected based on uh, just at a brief glance, I think he had the third, fourth most opportunity and expected points of any rookie wide receiver this season. So Debo impressed me. He was someone on the threshold that I would like. Um, McCall Hardman, by the way, got less opportunity. And I know he's in a crowded situation. And I know there's ways to defend him. But just to point this out, he got less opportunity than Oblisi Johnson, who was also inefficient, but still. It stuck out to me. Um, Andy Isabella didn't get enough opportunity. I can really judge him, much like McCall Harmon. But again, he was efficient on the touches he got. Nikhil Harry is right on the average, neither efficient nor inefficient, which just, you know, 
tells the story of Michael Horman very well. J.J. Segal-Whiteside didn't get a lot of opportunity, not enough to really judge, but as you'd expect, he was inefficient, so was Kelvin Harmon, Paris Campbell. These guys didn't get enough to really judge. Interestingly, someone that did, Paris Williams, Preston Williams, sorry, someone that I'm excited about, he was actually inefficient with his volume this year. Didn't expect to see that. And Keyshawn Johnson, we know he was getting a lot of opportunity early and it faded probably because he was inefficient. So those are some names that stuck out to me with the expected points model. I'm going to break into that more, probably write another article about it and look at the running backs um, going to their first year as well. But putting all that together while reworking and steadily working on uh, a way to investigate or reframe age and production, um, I started to do my DLF ranks, and so I thought I'd leave you off today. Besides those names of players that did well in their first season, therefore more projected uh, to get more volume in their second season. All the ones I mentioned, they're pretty good. Um, I thought I'd point out uh, the end result, what happened with my... Superflex ranks for DLF. So the players, some of the players that I was highest on, and some of the players that I was lowest on in each position. So at the wide receiver position, player I ended up being higher in terms of position rank compared to um, DLF position rank. Um, so these are ranks to ranks, not ADP. Um, I'm highest on Christian Kirk, Preston Williams, Deontay Johnson, for reasons I just mentioned. Um, also, uh, Traquan Smith, but he's really low ranked. Okay, this isn't this isn't a hype piece, but I'm I still got some hope there with Drew Brees. Robbie Anderson, I seem to be higher on him than um, consensus, and into the most valuable range, I am high, if not highest, on DJ Moore, Nikhil Harry, um, and Cortland Sutton, um, Calvin Ridley, Michael Gallup. So those are the names that stuck out to me the most, and I put the highest. Well, you know, I went the opposite way of the field, um, according to DLF ranks right now. In terms of wide receivers I'm lowest on, McCall Hardman, Darius Slayton, Terry McCollin, J.J. Sega-Whiteside, and yes, I know, me. I am one of the lowest rankers on J.J. Sega-Whiteside in terms of position rank. I'm also really low on DJ Chark. I, I still have a hard time believing it, even though he followed the second-year breakout pattern. Um, and I'm a little lower, not much, not enough to, you know, get upset, but um, Metcalf, Samuel, and A.J. Brown, I'm just really nervous. I think their ADP suggests their value is higher than it should be, and I would adjust my draft to account for that. If I'm drafting them, it's to trade them because their value is a little too high right now, and I really don't draft to trade, and so that brings them down in my draft ranks. You know, in theory. In practice, maybe I would, depending on the, how the draft's going. Uh, that's that's the problem with the ranks. All right, uh, running back. Strangely enough, because he really disappointed in some ways this season. I'm higher. The hi- running back I have higher than anyone else in terms of position rank is Jalen Samuels, um, and then Justice Hill, which I think everyone's going to be okay about. We're going to enjoy getting on the Justice Hill bandwagon. I have concerns, but you know there's opportunity there. I'm also highest on David Montgomery, Tony Pollard. Chris Carson, again, I start to like him, everyone starts to hate him. And Austin Eckler, I'm about average on Sanders and Jacobs and Alexander Madison and Royce Freeman. Um, The players I'm lowest on compared to ADP, I can't see any here that you would care about, um, which is unfortunate. Uh, I guess Ronald Jones, I'm slightly low on him, but no one has him ranked too high right now. Um, I'm slightly low on Daryl Henderson, but no one cares about him anymore. Matt Breeder, Darius Geis, I'm about three spots below in terms of position rank, but nothing really to write home about. 
In terms of quarterbacks, I am highest on Baker Mayfield, and that's in a really valuable range. Like, I have him ranked as uh, the quarterback seven right now. Um, DLF has him, uh, you know, the average rank is uh, quarterback 10. So I'm not going to say that there isn't anyone higher on me in Baker Mayfield, but right now it looks like um, I'm one of the highest. Um, Kyler Murray, he's ranked as quarterback 5 by DLF average rank, and I have him as quarterback 3. Now that's a smaller gap, but it's a more significant gap. I have him right after the obvious two of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. So I thought that was interesting. Um, The starting quarterback I'm lowest on, just to skip past Haskins and Daniel Jones. I still don't consider him a starter, I'm sorry. Um, Josh Allen. Uh, But that's not a surprise, and I don't have him that low. I still have him in the top 12. He's ninth according to DLF. So, you know, it's it's not exactly being contrary to say that. All right. Um, so those are players I ended up being higher and lower on compared to DLF average. Um, outside of Kyler Murray, I thought that was going to be a bigger deal um, until I, I ran the numbers there to see what my rank was compared to average. Um, I thought having Kyler Murray right there um, in the top eight was going to be significant. It looks like um, DLF ranks have that are pretty okay with that. Baker Mayfield as well. I thought that would be a bigger deal, and it's not. But yeah, um. I have Kyler Murray as quarterback three right now. Again, it's really significant to to position rank difference. Um, And it was meant to be fire, though. And the fact he's five by average is concerning to me. (laughs) Um, But I just think there's so much upside there. And and really, if you're drafting a quarterback earlier than others, you need, you know, Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes upside. So I didn't want to put him where it was reasonable. I wanted to be unreasonable. And it turns out that's what everyone else is doing as well. Um, I, I remain consistently the only Superflex ranker to put running backs ahead of quarterbacks. Again, that's I think I just think about my ranks differently. I'm adjusting. Uh, I'm trying to put my thought process while drafting in my ranks. So, yes, there is no one more valuable than Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson in any league. You don't trade them one for one for Christian McCaffrey, for example, unless you're getting the Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, probably. But... I adjust to the value, and I'm not drafting <laughs> to trade. So if I have the 101, desperately trying to get down, like most people actually, like most smart drafters, you're normally trying to get down. And that's why my ranks look a little different than that way. Um, it's not a trade value thing. you know. But if because if we were baking value in here, the first 32 should all be quarterbacks. That would be the first 32 picks. Um, it's never easier to get a quarterback than in the draft because people will adjust knowing or hoping they can get a quarterback later they're hoping to get the value on them that way that's how i generally do my super flex drafts so this my ranks are not value and they're not strictly draft it's trying to trying to lay out my thought process for what i have in my head when i draft which is a little bit different i've put tears in there to try and help out with that you can check them out on both Patreon if you're a patron, or on DLF if you subscribe to DLF. Um, I also posted some of the main, in the spreadsheet I posted, some of the main variables I look at, like how many seasons at what threshold level, top five seasons, top 12, top 24, how many years they've been in the, in the league, what age they are, and then DLF's averages as well, because I like to be able to see those when I'm making my ranks. All right, guys, so that's what I've been working on lately. Um, I'm really digging into production trends um to, in order to write an article on it in terms of age and career arcs more than more than age um 
And also I'm digging back through the 2019 season now to see who was efficient, who we can predict to get more volume, more opportunity. Um, we can do that later in the season now, but that's just what I was curious about right this second. Like I say, the off-season is the best part of the season, I think, because we just get to be curious. There's no immediate lineup decisions that need to be made, so you just get to go with whatever you're curious about this week. Um, Ray will be in to turn this into more of a, a two-person podcast and actually get a discussion, maybe an argument or two going, um, at which time I should stop just at saying who every time someone asks me about rookies and actually have some opinions, because I think Ray's going to hold me to the fire on a few things, um, and that should be fun. So come back next week to see me and Ray discuss, argue, and hopefully disagree on a few rookies. Thanks for coming to The Crossroads. Um, it's always nice to see you here. I will talk to you again next week when we start breaking into the rookie hype machine that is the fantasy offseason. Thanks again. Talk to you later. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. You got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.